you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. Not, not mentioned by name, but you will find a depiction or a description of Jesus in every book. Um, in Genesis, he's there as the creator. He's there as the one who is going to crush Satan under his feet. In Exodus, he's there as the deliverer, the provider. In uh, the book of Leviticus, he's the high priest. Um, and you can go through every book in the Old Testament and you will find a depiction of Jesus. When you get to the New Testament, though, you find, the, you find Jesus in reality. It's uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus comes in living flesh. Um, the writer to the Hebrews uh, puts it this way. He says that he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Um, you know, when you, when you have a look at Israel's uh, history, they, they had this tendency to hold God off at arm's length. They were afraid to get near to God. When, when they saw Mo so they said, Moses, you be our spokesperson. You be the one who gets close to God because we can't. And they had this fear of getting close to God. And, and when Moses was in God's presence, you know, he came back and his face shone and they would make him put a veil over his face because they were fearful of him. Um, by the time Jesus does come and starts walking on the earth, uh, most of the earth, most of the then known world, including Israel, had been influenced to some degree, at least by Greek thought. And Greeks had this idea that gods were just these um, warring beings in heaven that just were fighting with each other all the time, and they just used mankind as puppets. You know, they just pulled the strings and they made us do whatever they wanted us to do. But when Jesus came, he didn't, he, he didn't come like as a bolt of lightning being thrown down by some Greek god, Zeus. He didn't come as um, an emanation of some cosmic being. He didn't come um, to, to, to wreak vengeance upon the earth from some angry God. He came to show us what God is really like. He came to show us the love and the grace and the mercy of a living, compassionate God. But he also came to show us justice and righteousness and holiness. So he comes as the exact representation of God, the radiance of God's glory. Paul's uh, desire was, if this works, is it going to work? No. There we go. Go back. He says this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Paul's got this passion. He wants to know Jesus. He doesn't want to just know about him. He wants to know him. I'm going to give up everything, he says, just that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul's passion, his deep desire, is to know Jesus and to make him known to others. Not just by giving information about him, but by introducing people to the reality of who Jesus is so that they can experience him. And you read all through his letters where he prays these prayers of, I want your eyes to be opened, that you may know, that you may really know, that you may have experience of the love. You know, how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of God. 
That was Paul's passion. He wants us to know the experience of the resurrected Jesus. You know, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. You know, we, we all have some impersonal knowledge about each other. We know, we might know some things about one another. That's information that may help us have a casual conversation. But to actually really know someone, that's a different thing altogether. To really know someone closely. We all have friends. We all, we all uh, know something about one another. But sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it can be really difficult to, to go beyond just the superficial knowing of someone. To actually get close, to, to actually get deep. And the reason for that is that, is that we can allow fear to control our relationships. You know, we, we can be afraid that, you know, if that person actually finds out some of that, that truth about me, if they actually find out who I really am, then that's the end of our friendship. You, you can live with that kind of fear. And, we, and, and I think we all do to some measure, where we're, where we're fearful that people, if they find out the real me, then they won't want to have anything to do with me. Um, and it's true for every one of us, folk. It's, it's, our relationships can get stifled and damaged and, and because of this fear of getting too close. To truly know someone is to know something of the unseen things, the important, the in, intimate aspects of someone's life. And you can only really gain that insight um, through trust. Coming to a place where we trust one another. Um, it's through sitting with people regularly. It's through, through sharing personal things. It means that the fear of exposure needs to be broken down and dealt with. You know, a friend, uh, my next door neighbour, well, a neighbour across the road came and knocked on my door yesterday afternoon and, uh, and just stood there and, and just started to tear up because he, he came to tell me that last week his father passed away in South Africa. And, you know, with all the lockdowns and everything, travel restrictions, very hard for people to get there. And, and, uh, and so he, he just came over to, to share that intimate, personal thing about his life. That, that's a strange thing. But he was able to do so because he felt safe in what he was going to share. And it was, a, it was a great honor for Robin and I just to be able to speak to him, speak with him, pray with him, and just share something of the love of Jesus with him. But fear stops people so often from getting close to one another. It's the number one reason why we hold people off at arm's length, is that fear? But it's also the number one reason that we can hold God off at arm's length. We allow him to get so far, we, we allow him to come so close, but no further. And that, sadly, is the position where most Christians live. It's in this place where we're just holding God just off, just, just, to, just at a safe distance, instead of allowing him to come really close. Folk, 
We want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus. Do you know that he knows everything about you? (laughs) There's nothing you can hide from him. But sometimes we think we can. But the more we open ourselves up and the more we allow him to know us from our side, the more you will get to know him. So Jesus came to show us the Father so that we would know him. And that was Paul's passion, that we would know Jesus. He writes this in Corinthians. He says, but we with unveiled face. That means you're not whole. It, it means it's various things. One is it's talking about you being able to see Jesus through the reality of the new covenant and not being veiled with the old covenant law. But it's also talking about you being open. Being open, not, not masking, not wearing a mask, not hiding anything, but with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, the Holy Spirit. The more that we see Jesus, not just get facts and, and, and information, not just getting data about Jesus, but the more we behold him, the more we see him, the more we allow him to see us, the more we are transformed into his image. And and here's the wonderful grace aspect of that verse, is that, one, it's the Holy Spirit who does it. You can't change yourself. But we allow the Holy Spirit to just bring about change in us. But the second thing is is that it's from one degree of glory to another. You know, sometimes we want things to happen immediately overnight. You know, we want instant change, instant gratification. And yet it says there it's from one degree of glory to the next, right? Which means that it's a process and God is not worried about how long it takes. Sometimes we are, but God isn't. He says in Philippians chapter 1, he says, what he began, he is going to complete in you. So don't panic about the fact that sometimes it takes longer than, than you might want. Now, we can kind of speed up the process by our application and our desire for God, but, but God's not worried about it being a race, you know, this, this sprint race. He's, this is a marathon. You know, even though the years that we have on this earth are actually quite short in comparison to eternity, but he's not, he doesn't want us to panic or get down on ourselves. He wants us to rest in him and just have a heart and a desire to get to know him more, for him to know us. Amen? But Paul wasn't the only one who had this, had this desire to, to really know Jesus. Perhaps more than any other book, the Gospel of John reveals the heart and the nature of God himself. It shows us Jesus for who he really is. You know, Peter's known as the hot-headed kind of a bold guy, but John is known as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he was the one that was close to Jesus all the time. In fact, you see one picture of him where, he's, where Jesus is reclining and John's just laying back with his head on the chest of Jesus. That was the closeness of their relationship. And so I want us to read just some uh, verses here in the book of John. So John chapter 1, I'm going to read part of this just from, uh, from the New Living Translation. Might just change this. We're going to start a series called The Great I Am. And uh, 
We won't get quite into some of those statements that Jesus made about himself today, um, but we will get there uh, eventually. Um, John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning the Word already existed. He was with God and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He didn't make. Life itself was in Him and this life gives light to everyone. You know, you see that contrast in Scripture in the world all through the Bible and all through the world. There's a difference between good and evil and light and dark. And Jesus came as light to shine the light of the glory of the Father upon us. That's who, that's what he, and so John starts here. He shows us that Jesus isn't just a natural human being, that he actually is divine. And that's John's starting point. He goes on, verse 14 says, The Word became human and lived here on earth amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory. Full of unfailing love. When your love fails, His love keeps going. When your faithfulness starts to fail, His faithfulness keeps going. Amen? He, 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 isn't, he, he, he just doesn't um, show the glory of God but the very glory of God is resident within him and emanates out of him. He doesn't just love us. He is love. He isn't just faithful. He is faithfulness personified. We used to sing a song back, way back called It's All About Jesus. Folks, that's true. It really is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about all our religious things that we do. It's not about programs. It's not about trying to actively keep busy all the time. No, it's about Jesus. Amen? Let me put this up. Please work. Please work. It's not working. Can you just put that next slide up? Thanks. No, not going. Not going to, happen. Not going to be nice to me today. That's all right. The Jesus you perceive will be the Jesus you believe in. That's not the one I want. And the Jesus you believe in will determine the power of that Jesus in your life. A lot of people believe that Jesus existed. Even the devil believes that Jesus exists. But just believing that he exists doesn't save anyone. Just believing that he was a real person doesn't release his power in your life. Um, you know, people can believe the Jesus that walked the earth. They can believe that he walked on water. They can believe he calmed the storm. They might even believe in the miracles that he did. They may even believe that he died for sin. But just, just having information about those things doesn't save anyone. It's belief in who he really is and what he really did. It's not the little baby lying in a manger. Folks, it's, it, 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 it's the resurrected Christ. It's the resurrected Jesus. And so John starts his whole gospel by showing us the divinity of Christ, that he is God, that he is the creator of all things, that he is the one who saves, that he is the one who sets free, that he is the one that heals and gives eternal life. Verse 11, 
John 1 says, Although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognise him when he came. Even in his own land, among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him. See, that's the thing. You can believe, but you need to accept him. It's allowing him into our lives so that he can know us and so that we can know him. Amen? Now, I was going to read a whole lot of other scriptures. We're just not going to have the time for it today. But you can make a note if you want to. Um, John chapter 20 and from verse 24 to 20 to 31. It's the encounter that Thomas has with Jesus. Um, you know, he says, unless I see Jesus myself, unless I'm able to put my hands in, his, in the holes, in, in the scars of his hands, um, I'm not going to believe it's him. And then finally Jesus shows up and he reveals himself to Thomas and Thomas puts his fingers in the, in the holes in Jesus' side and in his hand and he says this, he makes an amazing statement. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus wasn't just now a teacher. He wasn't just a man. He was Thomas's Lord and God. You might think both of those terms are the same thing, but actually the Lord was the Old Testament understanding that Israel had of God. He is my Lord. Personal. Personal. And John then writes at the end of that little story, and he says this, these things are recorded. All these stories about Jesus, they're recorded there so that you might believe. That you might believe in who the Son of God is. And John goes on and he gives us, let me just put the slide up. I won't have time really to go into this. Um, next one. Thanks, Nicole. Remember, um, a couple of years ago, we, we, we did a series that I never actually ended up finishing, but it was a series called A Walk Through John to, to, to See the Real Jesus. Some of you might remember that. And we looked at, at seven miracles that Jesus did that revealed who he was. And, and, and there they are. I mean, obviously, Jesus did way more than that, but that's just seven that he did. He, he turned water into wine. That's the very first miracle he did, John chapter 2. He healed um, the official son who was dying. Remember that story where the guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, my son is dying, um, would you come? And Jesus just says, don't worry, right now he's healed. Right now he's healed. He's 40 miles away. And yet Jesus just says a word just to show. Geographical location doesn't matter. It's never a limitation to what Jesus can do. And so he just declares healing and the, and, the, and the boy's healed. He heals a paralyzed man who, who had been paralyzed, I think, for 38 years. Living his life as a beggar. And yet Jesus comes to him and shows him compassion and heals him. He, heals, uh, he feeds 5,000 plus people, multiplies food, just showing Jesus can provide everything we need. Like all of, these, all of these incredible miracles have an amazing story behind them. They just reveal the nature of God, reveals the nature of Jesus and what he can do in our lives when we know him. He walks on water, John chapter 6. Um, John chapter 9, he heals a blind man and he doesn't do it through some religious prayer. Oh, you know, lays his hands on him and, you know, be healed. You know, he does. 
he spits on the ground and makes mud and wipes it in the guy's eyes and then tells him to go and wash in a pool. Go and wash that mud out. And as you do, you're going to be healed. I mean, crazy story. Uh, what holy man does something like that? But he actually wanted this man to be involved in his own healing. The love, the compassion of Jesus. And then, and then we have the raising of Lazarus, John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 11. And so you've got those seven amazing miracles that we had a look at. I'd encourage you to go and read through the book of John and just have a look at them again because every one of them speak to who Jesus is and speak to who he can be in your life according to what you need at, at any particular time in life. But not only was there seven miracles through the book of John, but, but you have seven people identified who, whose testimony reveal who Jesus is. There's a whole lot of sevens in the book of John. Seven people. You've got John the Baptist, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Martha, and John himself. And then you've got a lady who, um, who probably under Jewish custom, Jewish tradition, probably wouldn't ever be mentioned. And you find her in John chapter 4, She's known as the Samaritan woman or the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well. You know the story. We've looked at it before. Um, her name, by, uh, according to church tradition, was Fotine or Fotina. And it means, one, uh, it, it means the luminous one, the one who shines, the one who has had light shone upon her so that she now shines herself. How does John describe Jesus right at the start? The light of the world. He, his light gets shone onto her life in such a way that she now begins to reflect Jesus. It's an amazing story when you go and, and, and read through it. I'd love to be able to have the time to, to read through it today, but we, we, we just don't. Um, you know, with all the amazing miracles that Jesus did, he wasn't out there trying to do some party trick. It wasn't a circus show. The whole point of it was that he loved people. And he wanted to engage people, and he wanted to touch people with his love and with his goodness. And that's what you see all through the book of John. Is that Jesus, I mean, he feeds 5,000 people because he has compassion on them. He heals all the sick when he's tired and weary, but he has compassion on them. There's a time when he's approaching Jerusalem and he starts to cry, and he says, here's, here's a bunch of people who I love, but they're without a shepherd. You see the love of Jesus just coming out in this. And Jesus comes and he meets this Samaritan woman at a well, and he starts a conversation with her, um, asking her for a drink of water, but, it's, but that conversation quickly pro progresses to her marital status, to her real situation. And we know the story. No, um, Jesus talks about, well, go and get your husband. And she says, oh, no, I have no husband. And he says, yeah, that's true. You've actually had five. And the guy that you're with now isn't your real husband. So she's up to man number six. Now, under, under Jewish law, you couldn't remarry another one unless your other husband was dead. 
So she's got five dead husbands. That sounds a little bit suspicious, doesn't it? Uh, who, who wants to be number six? I mean, that, that's, that's a story right there. And Jesus, so, so what does he do? He begins to reveal something about her life that she doesn't want anyone else to know. Because you read the story, she's there at midday getting water when the normal time for getting water is early morning. So in other words, she's come when there's no one else around because she doesn't want to engage in conversations with people where she has the potential then to be exposed. What? Fear. She wants to keep her reputation. Although probably behind the scenes, something of her reputation has already got out. And so she feels ostracized. She feels isolated. She is not comfortable being around other people. And she comes at an odd time of the day to get her water and then she bumps into this man called Jesus who knows everything about her. And he exposes her. He doesn't do it in a mean, harsh way, but he delves into the deepest recesses of her life so that he can heal her so that he can touch her life. He does it in a gracious, private way. She gets taken aback. She, 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 she said, man, I'm, I, she's shocked at what happens. And so her response, you can go read it, John chapter 4. Her response is one of changing the subject. She starts talking about, Oh, you know, why do you guys worship down there in Jerusalem? You know, we've got our own place of worship up here. Why can't we get together? Why can't we agree where we should worship? She completely changes the subject. But Jesus doesn't let her off the hook. He answers that question, but then he goes back to the real, her real need. And he does it in such an amazing, gracious way that it so affects her life that she runs back to the village and she shouts out to everyone, come and see the man who knows everything about me. That statement is quite a brave one when you think about it. She's had five husbands, all dead. Now she's on number six. Certainly some of the people in this village know about her. <laughs> and she says, hey, come and see this man I met. <laughs> Well, is this going to be number seven? How does number six feel? You know, the other five have died. Is my time up now? But, but Jesus had... <laughs> must have been her cooking. Must have, but Jesus had so impacted her life that she broke... She, all of that fear that she had was now gone. And she goes back and she tells everyone about Jesus. You've got to hear this guy. And they invite Jesus to come to the, to the town. And he begins to share who he is. He begins to display his love and his grace. And you read the rest of the story, and it says the whole town, the whole village was filled with joy, and many of them were saved. They became followers of Jesus because they were touched by his love. Now, the fact that Jesus was even there is an amazing story because Jews hated Samaritans. 
And Jesus wanted to get to Galilee. He felt, he felt the Father was telling him, get up north, get to Galilee, which is way north from Jerusalem, where he was. And traditionally, um, Jews wouldn't travel through Samaria. Right? They would bypass it. In fact, they, would, they were willing to walk an extra 100 miles and go all the way around Samaria to get up to, to, get up to Galilee. But Jesus, he, he, he went against all of that tradition. He went against that fear that so many of them had. And he was going to go right up the middle to get straight to this place. Not because he wanted to get in, there in a hurry just for something he wanted to do, you know, or, or, or because you know, it's by the lake and I want to go fishing. He wanted to get there because he wanted to encounter this lady. He wanted to meet with her so that he could break fear of her life, break her past, break that life that she was trapped in and set her free. But Jesus is always wanting to go out of his way to meet you and I, to break stuff off us that has us bound. You see, Jews hated Samaritans because 900 years before, there was a real serious issue. Israel as a nation got split in two. And you had two tribes in the south, Judah and, and Benjamin, and they had Jerusalem as their capital. And then you had the other tribes who were in the, in the north, predominantly just north of Jerusalem, in this area of Samaria, a few further north. And they chose, instead of Jerusalem to be the place to worship, they chose Mount, Mount Gerizim. And they would go there and worship. The problem is that over time, because they were away from the influence of, of most of the priests and, and, and the word of God, is they, started, they went, started to go back to idol worship. And so you had this mix of worshipping God but worshipping idols. And then later you had an invasion from the Babylonians and the Assyrians who came in. And you know what happened out of that? I mean, we know some of them got taken off into captivity, but... but but many of those foreign nations came in and they began to intermarry with these Jews. And that was forbidden under law. You couldn't do that. You weren't allowed to mix. And so you've got this intermixed race of people, some worshipping God, but they've got this synchronistic idea of worship and they're worshipping God and they're worshipping idols and they're intermarrying. And so the, kind of the real Jews down the bottom, they hated them. In fact, they called them dogs. We don't want to have anything to do with you dogs. That's the way they referred to them. And Jesus breaks across all of that kind of racism, really. It's internal racism. And he says, I'm going to go straight to this place because I have an appointment with a lady who needs to know who I am. Breaks through all of that. But then when the crunch comes, when, 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 when she starts to talk to Jesus... She feels awkward and she wants to change the subject to one about worship and religious protocols in, instead of allowing herself to be exposed to truth. You know that she is so much like you and I. We can be exactly like that lady. Because every one of us have, we have hidden places in our hearts, where we hide stuff. For whatever reason, but we all have them. 
We all have those things, those deep hidden recesses where we, where we bury things about ourselves, whether it's things that have happened in our past, whether it's been hurts, whether it's been you know, mistakes that we've made in our life, things that we might be ashamed of or embarrassed about. And we, and we, and we do it to, to protect ourselves and, and so we end up building a wall around ourselves to try and protect ourselves, to try and... And one of the reasons we do it is, is because we want to maintain relationships with people and we don't want them to actually discover some of these hidden secrets because it could damage our friendships. The foolish thing is that we think we can still even hide them from God. <laughs> I and mean, you, can't, you can't hide anything from God. He knows everything about us. I don't think any of us here would deliberately be trying to hide stuff from God because I think we're smart enough to know that that's a total waste of time. But we can still be dogged by a sense of failure or a sense of shame, a sense of, you know, we haven't done enough for God. And I think we need, that's when we need to actually rediscover who Jesus is. We actually need to know him more. We need a greater revelation of his love and of his forgiveness and of his compassion towards us and of his grace and of his mercy that we are truly his children and he will never, ever cast us aside. He will never leave us. We are his treasured possession. We need to, we need to know for sure, absolutely, of his total, complete acceptance and forgiveness. Number one, the number one primary reason that we can struggle in getting to really know Jesus, in, in, in developing that deep, personal, close relationship with him where we're able just to open ourselves up and expose everything about us is because of this fear that even he would reject us. Folks, and I want to tell you that is an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. Jesus wouldn't let this lady go and to continue to live with her pain and with her embarrassment. He digs in to that hidden spot. We live such busy, frantic, mad lives that we rarely have a time where we can just stop and allow God to get in to get in deep. He doesn't want to do it to expose us, to embarrass us, but he does want to do it so that he can set us free from whatever it is that is hindering our lives. I said before that for all of us, we have, we have moments where we just hold back from people because we're afraid of what would be exposed. And I've done that myself. Every one of us do it. I do it. I still struggle sometimes. You know, so I'm putting my hand up. And I don't think we should always wear our heart on our sleeve and, and we've got to be wise in what we do let people know. And I don't think you have to expose everything about your life to other people. But we do need to to God. 
even though he knows it all, he's actually wanting us to open up to him so that he can know us more. We can know him more. She was emboldened to even confess to the village. He knows everything that I've ever said and done. We can read stories like this in a very impersonal way. We can learn the story. You can recite the story to someone else. You can quote where it comes from. All we have is information and data. Or you can read it in a personal way where you put yourself into the story. And I believe every one of the stories that John writes there, whether it's the miracles of Jesus, whether it's the thing, his interaction with people, whether it's, whether it's the statements that he makes about himself, which we'll look at over the next few weeks, where he says, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. Seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. And we'll look at those. But to open ourselves up and just say, Jesus, I want you to look deep into my heart. Not to expose me, not to embarrass me, but so that you can uproot all of those things that are actually causing a hindrance in my relationship to you and my relationship with other people. Putting ourselves into the position of that lady. You know, she is um, traditionally known as the first evangelist. A whole village gets saved because of her testimony about Jesus. She goes on. I believe that um, when I said her name before, Fotine or Fotina, I believe that God changed her name to be a name that now, she had a brand new future. And she now has a name that reflects what Jesus has done in her life. He has shone his light onto her, exposed what was damaging in her life so that healing could come to her. And now she has a name that reflects the glory of God. One who has had light shone upon her so that now she becomes, listen, the luminous one. Who is the real luminous one? Jesus. Her name now reflects him. It reflects what he's done in her life. Jesus didn't judge her by exposing her past. He just got deep in so that he could heal her. Now, honesty is such an important thing. You can lie to yourself about a whole lot of things. People lie to one another. We can even lie to ourselves. You can't lie to God. And he just wants us to be honest with him. You know, the word confession, I believe, has been largely abused. In, in, in church circles. Because when you look, especially through the New Testament, 
when it's talking about confession there, it's actually talking about confessing the reality of Jesus. It's much more about confessing the reality of him in our life. It's, a, it's confessing what he has done. But sadly, the church and much of re, um, and religion has made it all about you confessing your sin. And I'm not talking about you trying to come, you know, weeping and wailing and confessing sin. Our confession should be about what Jesus has done for us. Amen? But there is a time where we need to come and say, you know, Jesus, I've hidden these things. And I've, and, 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 and I've hidden them not so much because they're bad. I haven't gone out and done a whole lot of bad sin. But I've hidden things that I'm embarrassed about. I've hidden things that I'm ashamed of. I've hidden things that have actually been, th things that have happened in my past that have hurt me. And without realizing it, they're actually limiting my life. And I want to actually just fess up. God, you already know about them, but I want to be open and honest with you so that I expose all of those things that you already know about. But in doing so, we allow the Holy Spirit to actually get in deep and then heal those hurts, heal those things that have become limitations. You see, and that is the degree by degree process of being changed from one degree of glory to another. Glory will always expose what is not glory, what is not glorious. And you and I have been created to carry the glory of God. We've been carried, we've, we've been created, that it actually doesn't just sit, we don't just get a parcel of glory and, okay, we'll just sit it here so everyone can see. Glory is meant to actually emanate from, the, from, your, from your, the depths of your very being because that's what it was with Jesus. Remember he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17? And it's like he, he, he just begins to expose himself. He just begins to pull himself apart and those disciples see his glory. And that's what it should be for you and I. We should be able to walk through this life exposing the real true inner us without shame, without fear of what people might think. Because we've allowed the Holy Spirit into the very depths of our being. And in his gentle, gracious way, he begins to transform us so that more and more of the glory of God begins to emanate from us. And so when I think of confession, I don't think of it as being a heavy thing of woe is me and I've got to cry before God and beg him for forgiveness. I think, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm already forgiven. I thank you, Jesus, but I want your transforming power to just keep uprooting and getting rid of all this junk that's actually still there and messing me up. You know, God's not condemning us for any of it. He loves us no matter what. But he wants us to be transformed into the image of his son. Amen? Now that's already happened in your spirit. But God wants it to flow out of our spirit so that it actually affects every part of our life so that people see that. Amen? And so there's incredible stories in the book of John where he just delves in. And, he, and, and as you read them, you, you just see the, his interaction with people where he just releases healing. 
And so I want you to just close your eyes and, and just in your own way, pray. In your own way this morning, just, just say, God, those things that I've, that I've held, bottled up, and maybe it's just hurts, maybe it's just things that have happened that have hurt you, and you've got scars, internal emotional scars that we still carry that have caused us to, to isolate ourselves. Maybe it's things we've done, mistakes we've made. Some of those things can cause us to have attitudes that are certainly less than Christ-like. We just want to release those things this morning. So just, just talk to him. Jesus, we thank you. You are you're the gracious one. The one who loves with such passion. One who continually shows us mercy. One who loves us with an unfailing love. The one who actually treasures us. We thank you, Jesus, for all that we know that you have done for us, we know the information, we know the facts, the figures, we know the stories. But Jesus, we as individuals, as we as a, as a people, we want to go beyond information. Lord, we want the truth of who you are to transform us. John wrote these stories so that we might believe and know. It says when the people in that village heard Jesus, they believed. The, the Greek word there, the actual meaning of that word, heard, isn't just to hear with your ears, but it actually means to hear and then understand. To hear and know. And Jesus, we want to know you. So our prayer this morning, Lord, is that we truly would know you better. We cry out like Paul did. We want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so, Lord, we, as, we, as we just step into this week, would you just reveal something more of yourself to us every day? Let there just be something new and fresh every day where we discover something more about you, where we can then know you more. God, we do. We, we, we want to be a people who know what it's like to, to feel you walking with us every day. That we can have such a confidence in this life that no matter what comes against us that no matter whose path we may cross somewhere, somehow those people would see something of Jesus in us 
where hurts have come and limited our life, Lord, we just release those and we allow the wonderful healing of the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come and just bring healing to us. We thank you, Lord, for your peace. We thank you for your joy that we've been talking about over these last number of weeks. But we thank you, Jesus, that, that, that you're not just a circus performer to perform miracles and to show power, but you're one who comes to show us love and grace. We thank you for that, Jesus, that you're interested in our life. You're interested in the personal nitty-gritty things of our life. And we need you. We need to know you more. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to try and continue next week. We're going to be looking. So if you want to read through the book of John, there are seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. Um, 21 chapters. So what's that? Three chapters a day? I reckon everyone could do that pretty easily. And you'll get through the whole book by next Sunday. So we'll, we'll keep going. We'll look at those great I am statements of who Jesus truly is. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.